Uh, the first reading this morning is um, from Ezekiel. It's an Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14, and it's on page 704, if you'd like to follow. Um, so that's Ezekiel 37, starting at the beginning. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? I answered, O oh Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived, and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Second reading is from the New Testament, and it's from Romans 8, and is on page 919 of the Bibles in the pew, if you want to read from there. Um, so that's Romans 8, verses 5 to 11. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God, God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, 
the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for your spirit in us. We thank you for your word to us. And we ask that as your word is read and taught this morning, you'll do in us your work by your spirit, that we might know and love and take hold of the, of the Lord Jesus more and more, be more and more his people and the people who you've called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of my uh, favourite bands uh, is a band called Arcade Fire. Does anyone know Arcade Fire? Anyone? A few people around? Excellent. They're this kind of like, um, you know, avant-garde indie rock thing from Montreal. Um, they're kind of a big deal now, but I was into them before they were a big deal, just in case you were wondering. Um, they're, you know, this beautiful thing, full, full of guitars, right, but, um, but trumpets and, um, and organs and all kinds of like weird and wonderful stuff to make this incredible big sound. Uh, there's a song on their second album called My Body is a Cage. Uh, the refrain uh, goes like this, my body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love. Uh, for this person, the, the body is something that keeps them back from life, that stops them from being who they want to be, from relating the way they want to relate. Uh, I wonder if you've, if you've ever felt like that, felt caged by your own body. Uh, perhaps you've been locked in a state of anxiety or panic and unable to calm yourself. Maybe you carry an old injury, which means your body doesn't quite move the way that it's supposed to anymore. Perhaps you suffer from a, a chronic health condition, chronic pain, chronic fatigue, and the state of your body constantly gets in the way of you doing what you want to do with your life. Perhaps you suffer some kind of degenerative illness and you're very aware of your body decaying over time. Maybe you're just getting older and so your body just doesn't do the things that it used to do when you were younger. Uh, perhaps for some of you, perhaps even for many of us, um, the issue isn't one of your body's function, but simply of its appearance. You have body image concerns and worries. Even when our bodies are fully functional, they can become a source of shame and embarrassment to us, a source of revulsion even to our own selves. Our bodies present real problems for us. Uh, that song by Arcade Fire suggests a solution, actually. Uh, my body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love, but my mind holds the key. Uh, so often in our culture, the mind is held out as the solution to our problems. Mind over matter is often uh, how it goes. If you just get your thinking right, if you change your attitude and your perspective, then you can overcome even the difficulties, perhaps, that the body, that the body faces. But of course, it doesn't take long to notice that our minds present problems just as much as our bodies. Body image, of course, is a matter of the mind as well as the body. Uh, even those things we refer to as uh, mental health are related so often to chemical imbalances in our brains and have profound physical symptoms. My body is a cage. Does my mind hold the key? Well, unlikely, I think. Because my mind too can be a cage just as much as my body. What's to be done about all of this? All of these experiences result from the death and decay that's been unleashed in our world by sin. 
And what we've been seeing in Romans 7 and 8 is Paul diagnosing the problem for us with greater and greater depth and clarity and beginning now in chapter 8 to explore the solution to the problem that faces us. He's been speaking about the flesh, about the human being that sin has gotten its hooks into, has sunk its teeth into, someone who's under the power of sin and death because sin reigns in their hearts. But in Christ Jesus, God's own Son sent in the likeness of sinful flesh to deal with sin, sin has been condemned. So that by his Spirit, all those who trust in the Lord Jesus are set free from sin and death and now really live. Here in these verses that we're going to unpack today, we start to see what all this means for our minds and for our bodies. If you like, this is where Paul really and finally answers that question, that cry of despair from chapter 7. Who will save me from this body of death? Who will save me from slavery to sin and all that it means for my mind and my body and my life in this world? That's what we begin to see Paul unpack today. We're going to unpack that in three different points. Firstly, what it means to have life in the Spirit. Secondly, what life in the Spirit means for our present. And thirdly and finally, what life in the Spirit means for our future. What is life in the Spirit? Uh, There are lots of concepts and terms being kind of thrown around in these chapters and even here in these uh, short verses. Sin, flesh, death, spirit, life. Lots and lots of concepts, lots and lots of words and terms being thrown around. And what Paul does for us in verses 5 to 8 here is kind of sets them out uh, in relation to each other. Shows us how these concepts all fit together. And what it's showing us is that all these concepts line up on two sides. Uh, The side of sin and the side of the spirit. Uh, Each of these represents, if you like, a different realm. One realm in which sin rules and guides and has power through the flesh, and another realm in which the spirit rules and guides and has power. And whether you live under the rule of sin or under the rule of the spirit determines how you relate to God and the trajectory that your whole life is on. Uh, I've tried to set it out for you here in a little diagram. Realm one, sin and the flesh, Against realm two, the spirit, sin in the flesh, hostile to God, the spirit pleasing to God. The realm of sin and flesh brings death. The realm of the spirit brings life. For the person living in the realm of the spirit, under the spirit's rule and guidance and power, all of these things on that right-hand side of of the table become possible. To really please God, to really, really have life, where before there was only hostility and death. And so we come then, after those verses, in verses 5 to 8, setting all of this out in this kind of way, uh, to that famous verse, to a verse that's very, very important at the heart of the whole gospel. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Uh, What happens to you when you trust in Jesus? What happens when you let Him do what you can't do for yourself, just as Jago and Gilbert have been declared this morning to have been brought through death to life? You can't do that, you need Jesus to do that. And what happens when you trust Jesus with your life in that way to take your own sin and to deal with it? What happens is that you move from one realm into another. The whole context of your life has changed. The possibilities that define you have changed. You live under a new rule, under new management, if you like. Once you lived in hostility to God, now you bring pleasure to God. Once you were destined for death, now you're destined for life. How is it that this happens? How do you move from one realm to the other? What's the mechanism? 
Well, there's a flip side to being in the Spirit, and it's right there as verse 9 continues. You might like to read along with me. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. Why? Since the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit is in you. And not only that, Paul can go on to say as the passage continues that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ and so Christ is also in you if the Spirit is in you. Indeed, he says as verse 9 finishes, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Uh, He's reminding us in part there of something uh, that we learned, if you remember, uh, last year when we uh, looked at uh, the Holy Spirit over a a series of four sermons, uh, a series we called The Life Giver. One of the things that we learned that the Scriptures make very, very clear is that if you belong to Jesus, then you have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not an extra thing that comes to you sometime later. No, if you trust Jesus, then His Spirit is in you. And you can't trust Jesus without His Spirit being in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. The Spirit is in you. And that's what means that you can now live in the Spirit. Uh, This language uh, might remind you again of uh, that series we had last year, which, as I said, we called Life Giver because giving life is what the Spirit does. The Spirit has always been the life giver, just as he is in that Old Testament reading we heard this morning as the prophet Ezekiel had a vision of the Spirit of God breathing life into Israel's dry bones and putting flesh back on their bodies. And so we see it again here in verse 10. The Spirit, Paul says, is life. And that's really the theme of this whole chapter, actually, the whole of Romans 8. The Spirit of life is through God's Son bringing life to us and to the whole of his creation. Uh, Twice in this passage, in verses 9 and verse 11, we're told that we now live in the realm of the Spirit precisely because the Spirit himself, God himself, now dwells in us. Uh, You might remember back to that final section of chapter 7 where we read uh, in chapter 7, verse 17, that sin dwells within me. That's what it is to live in the realm of sin and flesh. Sin has taken up root in the heart and rules and guides and powers that person. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, because the Spirit dwells in you. Uh, Let me try and illustrate what I think is going on here with um, another diagram for you. Diagrams are fun, right? Uh, Here's what happens to your heart when you trust in the Lord Jesus and move from that realm of sin and flesh into the realm of the Spirit. Uh, Firstly, sin no longer dwells in your heart. It's not there anymore. The parasite that we talked about in Romans 7 has been removed. And that happens as sin itself is dealt with in Jesus' death, as it's burned up like an oil slick that's gathered together and set on fire, its power destroyed once and for all. And so now, where sin once dwelled, the Spirit makes his home. God himself comes to dwell with you, to be the power and the guide that resides in your heart. And what happens when the Spirit of life comes to dwell in your heart? He brings your heart to life. Sin no longer dwells in the heart. Instead, the Spirit dwells there. And where the Spirit makes his home, there is life. What does all this mean? How is it that the Spirit brings your heart to life? What does he do in you as he dwells in you? Well, remember back again to our series on the Spirit last year. What's the Spirit's obsession? The Spirit is obsessed single-mindedly with Jesus. He brings glory to the Son. And so the Spirit Spirit brings your heart to life by drawing your attention to Jesus again and again, by making you one with him, so that when you're teetering on the brink of despair, you can say to yourself, no condemnation. That's the Spirit dwelling in you. So when you're scared and feel out of control and under the pump, 
and you're able to rest in being a child of your heavenly Father. That's the Spirit bearing witness from within your heart to the Father's love for you. What it means to have the Spirit in you, for that matter, when the Scriptures talk about having Christ in you, is to have the love of God so poured into your heart that love for God becomes the love that outshines everything else you might love and brings them into line so that you love the things of the flesh less and less and the things of the Spirit, the things of Christ, the things of God more and more. The Spirit dwells in your heart and puts the love of God there so that you might love Him more and more ahead of everything else. And that leads straight into our next point. What it means to have life in the Spirit here and now. What the the life of the Spirit means for our present. Uh, We've got to talk a little bit about uh, what being in the Spirit means for us, uh, kind of practically here, right? Uh, Here's what it doesn't mean, though. Uh, Being in the Spirit doesn't mean kind of getting in touch with your spiritual side a little bit more. It doesn't mean being a little bit more detached from material possessions. It doesn't mean getting into practices of meditation, as good as that might be. What being in the Spirit means is that the whole shape and direction of your life will change. It isn't about just adding some spirituality as an extra kind of add-on to your life. It isn't even just about becoming a little bit more spiritual. It's about the total transformation of you as a person from your heart outwards. The way Paul speaks about this uh, here in uh, this chapter of Romans is uh, to talk about a mindset. Uh, Have a read with me from verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Uh, Now, in our uh, rationalist kind of post-enlightenment culture, we tend to preference mind over other matters of human existence in all kinds of ways, uh, or at least we tend to understand mind in a pretty uh, narrow kind of way. And so when Paul uses this language of mind and mindset, we need to be careful to be really, really clear what he has in mind. Pun fully intended. Uh, What he's talking about here isn't speaking first and foremost about thinking or thought patterns, though it includes that. Uh, He isn't speaking about mindfulness. Uh, He's speaking about the whole orientation that characterises a person's life. Uh, It's a bit like when I uh, say to you and I declare to you publicly here that I've set my mind to playing test cricket for Australia. Hmm... That's not going to happen. But you know what I mean, right? When someone says they set their mind to something, you know they don't just mean I'm going to think about it lots. It's going to always be on my mind. No, what they mean is that this is going to be the goal of my life. Everything that I do is going to be bent toward doing this thing. It's going to be what guides my decisions, what permeates all of my relationships, what gives shape even to my identity. I've set my mind on this thing. We mean the same thing, I think, when we say that we set our hearts on something, right? This is what my life is about. This is what I love. This is what my whole being is driving towards. When Paul talks about mind and mindset here, he's speaking about that thing. He's speaking about the total orientation of your life. And as he speaks about people being transferred from the realm of flesh to the realm of the spirit, he's speaking about the total reorientation of your life, of your heart and everything that flows out from it away from sin and toward the life that only God's Spirit in Jesus Christ can give you. To have the mindset of the Spirit means that your whole life is now about the things of the Spirit. So the next obvious question is, what are the things of the Spirit? 
Uh, Paul's going to lay out the things of the Spirit at far greater length later on in Romans, in chapters 12 uh, to 15 especially. So if you're still around at about 18 years when we get to Romans chapters 12 to 15, you can hear a little bit more about it then. Uh, he uses very similar language, though, uh, there in chapter 12 to what he does here in chapter 8. Um, you probably know, uh, many of you, those are famous verses from the start of chapter 12. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Uh, that's the kind of thing that Paul's talking about here in chapter 8 in much more condensed form. And what he does here in chapter 8 is to start with some broad categories of what the things of the Spirit are. So first, in verse 6, we see that the mindset of the Spirit means life and peace. Now, peace is set in tension here with the death that comes from the mindset of the flesh, which is hostile to God. Now, the mindset of the Spirit is characterized by the peace uh, with God that results from the verdict of no condemnation, right? This is the flip side, if you like, of what we heard last week. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus means peace with God. But it isn't merely peace with God because the mindset of the Spirit means a whole-of-life orientation, peace in all its ways, in all spheres of your life, that you'll be bent toward that. Because we have peace with God, so we must be at peace with each other, especially with other Christians who we're in fellowship with. Um, Paul's going to come back to this again uh, later in chapter 12, where he writes that if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, you might remember, as we've gone through Romans, that the, the kind of presenting issue that Paul is tackling here with the church in Rome is essentially a kind of anti-Semitism. Uh, the Gentile Christians in Rome have been mistreating the Jewish Christians in Rome. That's not how it should be, Paul says, if you have the mindset of the Spirit. Because where the mindset of the Spirit rules, there should be peace instead of conflict and division. Uh, so it might be worth you taking a moment uh, sometime this week to think about your own relationships, perhaps especially here at church, uh, and asking if there's work to be done on being at peace with one another. If this mindset of the Spirit flowing out of no condemnation in Jesus and therefore peace with God and with others, if there are ways in which that's not being worked out in your life, are there personality differences or political disagreements or differing theological perspectives or social and demographic divides? Are there hostilities of one kind or another? Are there people you just don't like very much? Are there things that are causing conflict or cutting you off from relationship with others? Perhaps you're actually just so unwilling to open yourself up to others that there isn't even the room for the possibility of conflict. Uh, that's not peace, of course, right? Peace is not niceness or politeness. It isn't merely avoiding conflict. Uh, peace means sharing together as family in the unity that Jesus has won for us, making us children of God and brothers and sisters to one another. There can be no true peace among us without owning our differences and loving one another across those differences. That's exactly the kind of peace that God brings to us, right? We're very different to God. Have you noticed that before? You're not God. We're very different to God. And yet he crosses the divide to make peace with us. And so as people with the mindset of the Spirit, we're to be people who seek peace in all of our lives, in all of their spheres. Secondly, verses 7 and 8 tell us that the mindset of the Spirit is pleasing to God. Now, the word for pleasing here doesn't just mean to be morally upright in God's sight, though there is that, that is true. It's actually about delight. Now, the person who has the mindset of the Spirit brings delight to God. I wonder how often you think about that. Uh, in your day-to-day -day life, in your uh, prayers, in your uh, following of Jesus. If you follow Jesus, if you have life in the Spirit, 
then you're a delight to God. You please God. Without the Spirit's work in your heart uh, to draw your heart out to Jesus, pleasing God isn't even a possibility. See in verses 7 and 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And yet the very next verse, but you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit. The clear implication is you can please God. What moving from the realm of flesh to the realm of the Spirit means is that now that's exactly what you can do, that you can delight God Following Jesus, of course, is a life of repentance because sin still lingers even though it no longer rules us and we need to keep coming to God and asking for his forgiveness and asking for him to work his transforming power by his spirit in our hearts. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because he has dealt with sin and so the Christian life is not a life of despair at our moral failings. Instead, even as we wrestle with sin, the spirit enables us to please God. It delights your heavenly Father to see you grow in holiness, to see you act in love and care and peace to those around you, to see you bring even your failures to him so that even in our failures we might see the grace and glory of God revealed and at work in our hearts and in our lives and in our community together. Now you'll be pleased to know that we'll have much more to say about wrestling with sin next week. We've kind of been holding off all the way from Romans chapter 7 to talking to, uh, from talking about how it is that Christians still sin and wrestle with that next week. Just letting you know, we're finally going to get there as we talk about what Paul has to say about putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit. We're going to get there. For now, though, what to see here from this passage is, is that if you're in the Spirit, if you're in Christ, then God takes delight in you. That's the mirror image, right, of no condemnation that you heard last week. No condemnation. And therefore God is just full of love and grace and delight in you. What's especially pleasing to God, uh, as Paul will say later on in chapter 15, is the love that we show for one another. Uh, In chapter 15, Paul writes that each of us must please our neighbour for the good purpose of building up the neighbour. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. You see, Jesus endured the displeasure of others for our sake to make us pleasing to God. And so as his people, we seek not to please ourselves, but to please one another. Just as God delights in us as a father delights in his children. So we're supposed to bring delight to one another, to bring real joy to one another as we live together in love. And so another little challenge for you, perhaps, over the next week, to think about what's perhaps one thing that I could really deliberately do to try and delight one of my sisters or brothers this week to please one of my brothers or sisters here at church. You are in the Spirit. You have the mindset of the Spirit. You're at peace with God. You are pleasing to God. And so, therefore, as the Spirit works in your heart and continues to transform you, you'll be someone who seeks peace and who seeks to please God and one another. You have life in the Spirit, even here in the present. But what about the future? Your heart's been filled with the love of God in Christ Jesus by the Spirit. You've been made alive, and yet life isn't always rosy. Uh, Jesus said that he'd come that we might have life and life in abundance, but there are plenty of times, all too often, where it feels like life is far from abundant for us. So if all this is true, right, if everything that Paul's telling us here is true, there must be more to come, right? And Paul addresses that head-on here in verse 10, where he says, The body is dead because of sin our present reality is still deeply affected by sin and death the mindset of the spirit is transforming us from within the spirit in our hearts but without there's plenty that remains untransformed 
Remember, truly, spiritual life isn't simply an inward, reflective, uh, meditative kind of life. No, for Paul and for Jesus and for the whole of the Scriptures, truly spiritual life means spirit-powered life. Not just for the soul, but for the whole person, for body and soul, for mind and body together. What does that mean? Well, it means that the solution, the destiny of one who is in the Spirit is resurrection. Have a read of verses 10 and 11 with me. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin... The Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You see, Paul acknowledges that death and decay are still a present reality for us, but it won't always be so. Your body is still subject to decay and death and your mind as well, for what it's worth. But if the spirit of life who brought Jesus through death to new life lives in you, then death can't possibly have the last word on you. Uh, Let me try and tease out the logic of that uh, for a moment for you. Uh, Paul's spoken throughout Romans of death uh, not only as an event, right, but as a force that affects and diminishes life in this broken world. Now he's saying there's a new force at work in you. uh, Life, the life of the spirit by his presence. Uh, How does that work? Uh, Imagine perhaps that the time has come to change your body's batteries. Here's some classic double A's. So dependable, so ubiquitous, they're everywhere in our lives. If your body is powered by two or even four double A batteries, you know what's going to happen? You're going to break down eventually, you're going to drain, they're going to go flat. You're going to fail. What if you could be powered by something else? What if instead of AA batteries, you had a Tesla Powerwall in your heart? The latest and greatest in home battery energy storage. That's an efficient, high-powered, high-capacity battery right there. But what if there was an even more powerful source of energy than a Tesla Powerwall? And of course there is, right? A battery system like the Powerwall just stores energy that's been generated through solar panels by the sun. What if instead of a Tesla Powerwall, you are powered by the energy source behind the battery? What if you are powered by the sun itself? What if the power and fire and awesomeness of the sun was what gave life to your body? You'd never run out. You'd be like the Energizer Bunny, right? But even better. You'd never run out. You'd be full of almost unlimited energy. But of course, even the sun's going to go out one day. Even the sun will lose its power. But you see, the energy now working in you is more powerful even than the sun because what's at work in you now made the sun. The spirit of the true and living God, the source of all life itself, the one who gives life to the whole of creation, the one who put that power to work in the body and flesh of Jesus to make him alive again from the grave. That power now dwells in you. That spirit, the spirit of life, God himself who brings life to everything. He's the power in your heart and in your life. And what Paul's telling us here is that if he's in your heart, then your body must surely follow. That new life will come to your broken body as well when the Lord returns. His power is too great. There's just not even death can stand in the face of it. Death won't have the last word. You, like Jesus, will have a body made completely new. 
my body is a cage. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. I wonder if you feel like that even now, perhaps. You might long for liberation from this cage of your body. You might long to be free from it. You might long for mind to win out over matter. But the gospel promises something far better, not liberation from the body, but the liberation of the body. You see, your body isn't a cage, but your body itself is caged. It's locked in by the brokenness of a world still deeply affected by death and decay that comes from sin. But just as you've been set free in the heart, so your body will be set free, raised, made new and perfect, never again to experience decay and never again to die, just like the body of the risen Lord Jesus. Because you see, as Paul's been saying all along, you've got to realise what the actual problem is. Your body is not the problem. Your mind is not the problem. Your soul even isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. And the power of sin has been broken through the broken body of our Lord Jesus. Decay and death linger, but their days are numbered. They no longer define and control you because the spirit of life, the spirit of Christ himself lives in you and has captured your heart and where your heart goes, your body will surely follow. And on that day, the great and glorious day when our Lord returns, your mind and your body will be perfectly one, perfectly healed, perfectly free from sin and decay and death and enabled to revel in the grace and love of God in a redeemed world for all eternity. I know that some of you are in pain, both mental and physical. That's real for so many of us. And it's only this hope, the hope of the power and grace and life and peace at work in your heart by God's Spirit that will give you the strength to survive the pains and problems of your body as well as of your mind. Because it's not a case of mind over matter, it's a matter instead of God's faithfulness. And he's promised that what he has begun by his Spirit in your heart will also take place in your body. And so we find our strength to endure in the one who at the cross let his body be broken and gave up his spirit so that you could have life in the spirit and so that you could have your body unbroken, made whole again, that by the power of the spirit that lives in you one day, inevitably and without a shadow of a doubt, you will be raised as he has been raised. Your troubles are not forever. Your bodies, your minds... They are heading for resurrection. And it's that hope that we have as we live in the Spirit. Amen.